Hello, Buildings on Air podcast listeners. This is your host, Kiefer Dunn. Um, and we're taking a little break in November, um, but rest assured we've got a special treat for you, as is uh, tradition. Um, Buildings on Air will return uh, to regularly scheduled programming in December, so you can listen to it live on Lumpen Radio first Saturdays of the month from 2 to 4 o'clock. Um, but uh, since there's nothing on the podcast feed, um, we've arranged something special. Uh, you might remember Ashley Bigum and Eric Herman of Outpost Office from a previous episode of the show, um, but they have since started their own really fantastic podcast called Site Visit. Uh, the premise of the show is that Eric and Ashley, uh, along with a colleague, go visit a site of architectural significance, um, loosely defined, um, and they talk about it. Uh, it's, it's a show that sort of um, really revels in the wide world of the built environment and elevates everything to architecture. Um, and it's, it's a delightful show. Eric and Ashley are delightful and witty hosts. So um, I've enjoyed the couple episodes that they've uploaded so far and look here, forward to hearing more. Um, episode one um, will follow uh, this little introduction. Um, but if you like the show, you can go subscribe uh, to their show on iTunes. Um, site visit podcast you can also go to sitevisitpod.com um, and and check out more and of course uh, follow eric and ashley on instagram at outpost office so without further ado here's episode one of site visit and we'll be back with buildings on air in december uh, talk to you then i feel like i'm gonna slumber party and i have a giggle <laughs> Are you recording? This is all good stuff. (laughs) This is fantastic. Get out your giggles. Okay. Hello, and welcome to Site Visit, a podcast dedicated to engaging architecture everywhere. I think you should do a podcast that's just the soundtrack of people laughing. (laughs) Do you think that would make other people laugh? I'm Ashley Bigham, and I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Herman. Eric, what do we do on this podcast? We visit a site, and then we talk about it. Exactly. Each episode of Site Visit begins with a visit to an architectural site chosen by the guest and follows with a conversation centered on the experience. If you like Site Visit, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and be sure to tell your friends. To keep up with the latest or to see photos from these site visits, follow us on Instagram, that's at sitevisitpod, or visit sitevisitpod.com. Today's guest is Ellie Abrams, assistant professor at University of Michigan Taubman College and principal of the architecture practice team with Tom Moran, Adam Fury, and Meredith Miller. Ellie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So on today's episode, we're going to discuss our recent site visit to Menards, a regional home improvement big box store um, based in Wisconsin, but spans 300 locations um, throughout the Midwest. So, Ellie, you chose Menards as our very first site visit, um, and we're curious why you wanted to start with that. I think one of the reasons I chose Menards is because I've just been spending a lot of time there. Team recently completed a temporary outdoor pavilion at the Ragdale Foundation called Living Picture, where during the three-week period of construction, we were visiting Menards almost daily. And often we had a eight or nine or 10 person team and often one of us would go and come back with some kind of anecdote or story or piece of merchandise and it seemed like no matter how many times we visited Menards the variety of experiences one could have there never (laughs) expired Um, so that was one reason and then I've just been interested in Menards as 
a study in the non sequitur and in the way in which you can um, say, uh, like, curate. That's probably too lofty of a word, but <clears throat> uh, it's like an interesting form of merchandising, let's say, mm. where the store layout doesn't follow logics we might be used to in terms of items which are related to each other, but follows some other mis- more mysterious logic. Uh, and I don't think that it's accidental. I think there's actually somebody who's very carefully deciding that sponges should be placed <laughs> Uh, next to a can of beans, <laughs> next to Drano, next to like a pipe wrench. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think those are the reasons that I wanted to go there. And also I was aware that you, Eric, and Ashley had never been to a Menards. <laughs> well, this is this is the thing that I kind of want to unpack because Menards is different from Home Depot and Lowe's. Mm-hmm. So like... I guess we should like talk a little bit about the visit itself because it is completely overwhelming. And one of the mm-hmm. first things that strikes you uh, is that you feel like you're coming to a home improvement store from the outside, but then very quickly you're confronted with pudding cups on sale. So maybe we should talk about a little about the layout of the store mm-hmm. and the kind of things you can get there because it it feels like almost everything. So just like a typical big box store, um, it's you know right on a big kind of highway, at least the one that we visited right outside Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and you pull into the parking lot, and it looks like the parking lot of a Walmart. Um, the store facade is also pretty unique. <laughs> the The Menards font and logo, I think, is quite distinctive. It's, it seems a little less corporate than a Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, maybe a little bit more, almost like kind of 70s, bubbly, chunky font. It's a weird font. It feels like uh, someone tried to paint something and then it got live traced. So it's like almost clean, but not quite. I wouldn't go all the way calling it a font. It's more of some kind <laughs> right. of strange mark. I was thinking it's like the Microsoft Paint version yeah. uh, or like a clip art version of a corporate logo. That's totally the vibe, yeah. clip art, because like, it's like yeah. default colors, too. Like, it has a really strange yeah. hunter green, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. red and yellow branding strategy. But one of the things that I find interesting about Menards is that it is this physical size and scope of a Home Depot or a Lowe's, but because it doesn't have the corporate structure, it hasn't been kind of polished and refined and, like, run through the machine, you know, mm-hmm. the, like, impersonal machine of that kind of corporate structure, and so it has these quirks. Um, The other thing about the entrance is that there's this huge expanse of arched glass that has a way of framing the interior lights as if they're chandeliers. So there's a kind of elegance, (laughs) an odd elegance to the exterior. But then when you walk into the store, you're immediately confronted with that initial shelf of almost a sampling of what the store has on offer. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we found coffee mugs, nail polish, like Dinty more chili, uh, small hand tools, right? All of that stuff kind of arrayed at the entrance. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's uh, really strange about that front area, because it does feel like a Walmart where they like would like usually have this low-slung shelf with all the kind of deals of the day, Yeah, is that you go through a turnstile, <laughs> which is like... <laughs> I know it's like a security element, but it does feel like you might be entering an amusement park because yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's so immense. I also love that the the arch, arch you're describing from the outside because it does look like a big box that like swallowed a greenhouse. Like there's just mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. 
big volume that you go through it. Yeah, I like the amusement park comparison because uh, I haven't thought of that before. But when you go in, also unlike a Lowe's or a Home Depot, and I guess we don't always have to compare it to those, but yeah. because it's such a prominent type, it's hard not to. But it, it, it's multi-level. So mm-hmm. we discovered today something I haven't discovered before at, a, at Menards, but that yeah. there are mezzanines, multiple mezzanines, uh, and that there's neon signage, which mm. uh, labels the carpet section and the restrooms. and the. So there is a way that it's um, zoned like an amusement park, uh, <laughs> and there are many buildings within the building. So the lighting is all displayed on gables, the kind of miniature displays of sheds or awnings or... Uh, Eric, you noticed the window, kind of Duchamp version of the window display, but there are so many kind of nested scales mm-hmm. in there as well, which makes it seem amusement parky to me as well. So let's go through some of the just categories of products that were there. So we've talked about the chandeliers were kind of right when you walk in. Then there's shelving full of knickknacks and toothpaste and everything. Um, then there's a whole flooring section. They're kind of the typical sections you would see in a home improvement. So flooring, laminate, siding. Um, maybe it stops short of lumber. It doesn't have that kind of the There is lumber. There's we just lumber didn't yard. get there. Okay. It's all the way in like the back left corner past the windows. Okay. So there was that space lined with building materials that yes. you really liked. That's like triple story it. high. It, the lumber is back that way. Okay. So there are all those things. <laughs> they have everything. Name but something. then there are other things which are more like a kind of grocery store or a Walmart, right? right. Where there's food items, there's uh, medicines, there's... And actually, now that we're talking about it, I think this is the big typological difference to continue the comparison to Home Depot mm-hmm. and Lowe's. Home Depot and Lowe's are set up like a giant shelf. So basically, mm-hmm. there's an artery of circulation up near the front, and then there's these slots that you can go into. So it's like being at Ikea where you're in the lower level and it's all storage. Menards is more like the upper level of Ikea, mm-hmm. where it's like this landscape. There's a ring of circulation, and a lot of the shelves are kept pretty low, so you can appreciate how big the space is, mm-hmm. which is, is, I think, something you can't really sense in Home Depot or Lowe's, and adds to that kind of like strange, I don't know, like collision of things. And I think a lot of the aisles don't run the full length of the store mm-hmm. the way they do at Home oh, Depot. Yeah. So Ashley noticed when we were there that suddenly we were at aisle 138 <laughs> or something. Yeah. It didn't seem possible that there would be so many aisles in a store. And there was that another moment where we were uh, like under a mezzanine level and it seemed kind of dark. We were in the paint section and we emerged into shampoo mm-hmm. and deodorant and toothpaste. So, again, it's that uh, the kind of non sequitur, right, mm-hmm. where... Um, not to be too dorky, but, you know, Foucault's order of things where he has the list that he borrows from Borges of mm. uh, those kind of non sequiturs. I'm going to forget exactly what they are now. But <clears throat> so it's that kind of logic in a way. Um, do you have the map? Mm-hmm. Yes. We found a store map when we were there. Yeah, it had been abandoned by someone and it seemed like it was waiting for us. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. I just I was wondering whether a visual like a over uh, diagram of the plan would lend logic mm-hmm. that you can't glean from firsthand experience. Mm-hmm. One of the fir- most striking things about the map is that there are diagonals. Like I think if you saw a map of any other, mm-hmm. not just Home Depot but Target or maybe Best Buy has diagonals. But like any any other big box store would only be on the orthogonal. 
So as we were going through, we saw a lot of different materials. Ellie, were there highlights for you? Like things that you, well, you took us to one thing that you find particularly <laughs> In the inspiring. window section. In the window section. I think we should talk about some of the, <laughs> the highlights. So there's the store itself and its architecture, but this also includes a lot of intriguing objects. Yes. Yeah, it's almost overwhelming how many intriguing objects there are to, to marvel at at Menard. So maybe I'll mention two. One is um, my favorite egress window well. <laughs> well, we all have our favorites, which, so I believe which one's yours? <laughs> is, I believe it's a Menards exclusive. <laughs> and it's the image of a stone wall printed on a corrugated steel drum. And I love it for a couple of reasons. It feels very apropos to the work of uh, team and my practice because we work a lot with uh, digital imagery that maybe appears semi-realistic or surrealistic, but um, and kind of approaches a realism, but is also quite um, forthcoming in its digital in the nature of its digital production mm-hmm. and. Uh, this window well in particular, I think, feels exactly the same way. And there's a way in which in the practice we labor over that as a kind of intellectual problem to chew on and something that we think is really interesting in relationship to the way in which digital culture and just the existence of digital tools and software has changed our physical world. So then to see this thing just show up at the hardware store, um, being sold in earnest to a demographic of people who don't care at all about that question that we're wrangling with, but appreciate it for the way in which the stone pattern um, beautifies what would otherwise be seen as the ugly corrugated steel surface, I find really interesting. Um, So there's a kind of Venn diagram there, I think, that could be fun to think about. And then um, my other... The other product that we saw today that I hadn't seen before that I really liked were the Freedom Rings. <laughs> Amazing. So um, Menards had a whole collection of candy, which was patriotically themed. So there were um, gummy bears, mm-hmm. candy corn. Um, French gummy fried yeah. beans or what? Yeah. Some kind of... They said they there were was French a dig, beans. There was a dig French, at the French. Right, yeah. with a huge back, American flag Dating back to 9-11 and the yeah. Freedom Fries. Mm-hmm. And then there were Freedom Rings, which are essentially red, white, and blue gummy rings. They may have been sour. Yes, not they sure. look sour. Maybe sour, but <laughs> called should, Freedom Rings. I think we should find out. <laughs> yeah. Eric, what was your favorite product we saw today? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I really appreciate both the examples you brought to light. I think the... Um, Tree camo lounger mm. was especially nice. So this was a a, a l- large lazy boy that was uh, wrapped in imagery of uh, tree camouflage. Pretty great. So you know, like if you're in your living room and there's a deer, you won't scare <laughs> it off. You know, it might even come near you. Um, that assumes that you yeah. yourself are also dressed in camouflage. Camo. Right, right. So I guess you would have to forgo the typical orange safety vest because you're in your house so you're probably not going to be a target Mm, mm -hmm. so that was a great one I think the other thing that was like uh, just absolutely incredible I think we all really liked this was the uh, showers Mm -hmm. with their extraordinarily out of scale marble texture yes Um, and I was actually struck you know we we had um, when you mentioned you want to go to Menards we definitely like saw a kind of synchronicity with the work of team and I just really wasn't 
uh, ready for how many faux finishes there are <laughs> and how kind of uh, complete or re- replete Menards is with that. It was unbelievable. Yeah. So you had like all the kind of finishing boards. And if you think about it, they're completely liberated from material or any kind of performance requirement. And yet they still go back to like tile tropes and things. And it gets really super interesting when the scale's off. So these showers were like, that marble had to be like six times the size. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And I saw a faux texture there today that I hadn't seen before, which is a fabric cozy for your flower pot, which came in faux textures. It was in the garden center. <laughs> so you can take your terracotta flower pot and uh-huh. cover it in a fabric cozy that looks like stone, printed Ooh. fake stone. It seems like there's a project here that someone should do, even if mm-hmm. I don't know if teams should do it or someone else should do it, where you assemble a space made entirely out of Menard's faux finishes. Like yes. floor to ceiling and yes. and furnishings, like all of it. <laughs> so, th- yeah, so I would say rather than a single product that might have been my favorite, I think it was that the kind of back corner where the entire corner of the of, again, a big box store, which is painted all white, um, open steel joist construction, you know, um, all metal, but it's all been painted white. Um, but then there's one corner of the store, which is completely almost, as you say, wall to ceiling, or excuse me, Florida, Florida ceiling, um, wrapped with all of the samples for um, siding, for um, roof shingles. So it's not only um, siding, but shingles and any kind of exterior material you could put on a house, kind of wraps that whole corner. And you suddenly feel like you're actually in a room rather than you're oh. in a building, which is one giant room, which is kind of the definition of a big box store. And so I really liked that kind of almost intimacy in this giant, huge public space with lots of employees running around asking you if you need help. Um, And I would say the same thing kind of about the upper mezzanine level that you were talking about. It's suddenly you get up in the mezzanine level and you feel like you're actually in the kind of service area back of house. Everything is in boxes. Everything Mm -hmm. is marked down, but not really on display. It's just kind of in piles. (laughs) So it's definitely a public space where we're allowed to go shop, but it definitely has had the feeling that uh, we were in a kind of employees-only zone, um, but then the employee wanted to make sure we were finding everything okay. So, mm-hmm. so it, it um, yeah, that kind of scale within a larger shell, I think, was really interesting and, again, something unique that you don't find at um, any of the other big box stores that we've mentioned. It was like a big box attic up there. Yeah. So if we could actually um, start to turn this back a little bit toward the work of team, I'm curious because you mentioned a really interesting thing that I wanted to parse out a bit about the earnestness of the objects that are present Mm. uh, at Menards and also the audience. So like I think as educators, I think we're all sometimes struck with the compelling power of naivete, right, of like something kind of emerging because you know, there's not, you're not kind of overthinking things and it just kind of, things just happen um, through maybe even like seemingly incorrect combinations. So if we could talk about the work of team as a category, if the stuff at Menards is earnest, what do you consider like the attitude of team toward the work? You know, what is your kind of, yeah, what is, mm. the, what is your attitude uh, toward that stuff? That is a good question. I think earnest is a term that we often use to describe our work, but we're usually using that term to counter someone else's assumption Mm -hmm. that we're operating from a point of, from a position of irony. So we don't intend the work, the proposals that we 
make, design proposals that we make to be simply rhetorical or simply representational. There may be that element to the project, but we also mean them as building proposals, things intended to be constructed physically in the world. So I think that's the way in which we use the term earnest. Um, I was recently trying to come up with a phrase for a piece that I was writing, and uh, I settled on ardently humorous, mm-hmm. <laughs> like trying to just contrast two terms that maybe um, oppose each other, but also can sit well together. So I think that we uh, mean the work very sincerely, but we also don't take it too seriously. I think that uh, having fun producing the work, but also the work being fun itself uh, is an important part of teamwork. Um, And I think if I could draw maybe a comparison between the egress window well and a team project, I would say like the egress window well is trying the best it can. It'll never be good enough, but the best it can to actually simulate a stone wall. Mm-hmm. I think the person purchasing that window well and installing it in their home is somebody who, if they could, would have that be a stone wall, retaining wall. I think in a team project, it would never be interested in passing for a real stone wall, but would be interested in exploiting the strange qualities that would come out of an image of a stone wall printed on a corrugated steel surface. So I think that that pushes the teamwork into something which is more mannered, like more exaggerated and less uh, moving towards realism. Like all of the, well, maybe this is what was so striking about the shower um, textures that we saw with the oversized marble is that maybe we assume that in those cases, the manufacturer is trying to approximate as best they can the real finish. So on the other side of the aisle were showers that had fake molded plastic tile with a sign that said, touch me, you won't believe it's not real. And Ashley and I, we did touch it and we did believe that it wasn't real. It feels like plastic. (laughs) It didn't feel like tile at all. Yeah. Not at all. So uh, they're there, like, like their cards are right out there for you to see, right? They want you to be amazed at how easily they or how well they can simulate a real material. Mm-hmm. I think team would never be interested in simulation in that regard. So your your virtuosity is aimed in other things, right? Not in this kind of mimicry, right, or an attempt at realism. So, yeah, where where do you feel like the work is focused? Where is the work mm-hmm. happening in a team project? Well, I want, I'm not going to claim virtuosity yet. <laughs> I'll claim ambition first, okay. let's say. I think we're interested in trying to work with both physical materials and image as a material system. Okay. So uh, in a lot of the recent work, we're combining kind of experimental approaches to physical materials and expressions of physical materiality. So you would see that in the development of new aggregates that combine uh, building waste or construction debris with recycled plastic to make a new material uh, alongside really authored manipulations of imagery and trying to approach imagery. I mean, always printed on a material substrate, of course, because there's no other way We haven't been working with projection or something. We work with actual images kind of materialized in space, printed on vinyl uh, or printed on paper um, or printed on um, plastic. So 
but kind of trying to think of the images also as a material system and thinking about how producing new images of familiar materials or new images of new materials <laughs> contributes essentially to that materiality's uh, capacity to produce certain kinds of space and certain kinds of subjective experience. So I'm wondering also how how a place like Menards might fit in almost to the kind of uh, formation of a project or mm-hmm. like what's the process of working with these materials? I know in your in the studio of team in your workspace you have just lots of materials lying around, but would you kind of go to Menards and get specific materials, or is there ever a moment where you kind of go there, end up buying something completely different based on the project? I mean, just as we were walking around, we were all kind of looking at different things and say, hey, that would be an interesting idea for this project or this project, you know, that we're all kind of currently working on. So how does that, how does that kind of workflow go when you have so many different materials that you're always working with? I think that we use Menards in a lot of different ways (laughs) and at a lot of different scales. So... For instance, um, we have been doing a lot of research into material streams and um, kind of material ecologies around certain industries. So thinking about post-industrial plastic and the way that it gets uh, recycled and reused. And and we recently made a trip to Menards looking for... um, like building construction components that might be things we could harvest from demolition or actual construction sites that we can use in uh, material research. And so we were looking in particular for things which are made out of polyethylene, polypropylene, uh, maybe sometimes ABS, but, you know, explicitly not things like PVC or vinyl. So uh, it was it's a kind of resource research resource for us in that way. Um, We also team builds a lot of their own custom machines. Uh, That's one of Tom's many valuable expertise is uh, his knowledge of how to do that. And we, a lot of the material research right now works with thermocasting. And so um, he's building kind of custom convection ovens and uh, thermocasting formwork panels. And so we use Menards just to buy parts to mm-hmm. actually build things at full scale. And a lot of the materials in our studio space are there right now because we're working actually on a quarter scale model for the Chicago Architecture Biennial. And so we, a lot of those materials come from other kind of eclectic sources, whether that's uh, internet searches that yield the right material or a trip to Michael's. But there are also trips that we make to um, like landscaping companies and um, brick suppliers. And uh, recently we've been traveling to farms and <laughs> to uh, the Washtenaw County Solid Waste Division, But one of the things that working on a scale model that is, I think, an interesting problem for team is if we are so earned, like, what is our approach to representation and abstraction representation? And so if we are working with real material and material research to fabricate these um, kind of cast columns or objects, these thermocast pieces, when we go to represent something like that at the model scale, what mm-hmm. do we do? And how willing are we to work in modes of abstraction? Uh, if something is white in the model, is that because it's been abstracted into just its form and geometry, or is it because we actually mean for it to be painted white? And how do we communicate that 
um, through the model. And so that's been a really interesting thing for us to work on for the Chicago project, uh, which is called Ghost Box. No, I, I think that's super interesting because I think you guys have a really unique uh, model and representation problem in terms of scale because typically the idea is that you create a scale model and then it's about, okay, how do I make this real? How do I blow this up? But to shrink a material effect or a material quality is a different kind of problem. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And a tectonic, I mean, we have to think about the tectonics as well. I think often a model is not asked, you don't expect of a model for it to represent real scale tectonics. Right. So you put you make it the way that best simulates the real thing as an image, but not the way that the real thing would be made. But when we're working with, um, in particular, the materials, with the materiality which showed up in the Detroit reassembly plant and which is part of this project that we're working on for CCA and which will show up again in the Chicago Biennial project, which is the cast material. There is a certain way in which that tectonic scales if it's a if it's a monolithic cast mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. Right. And so. Um, we are always trying to make a decision about whether we try to fabricate the model the way we would fabricate the full-scale thing or um, do something which is more illusionistic, mm-hmm. just produces the image of the thing that we want. So we maybe have time for just one more uh, question. Is there anything that you want to ask us about our first trip to Menards or, <laughs> or any final kind of closing comments? Um, well, I'm really honored that I was the person who was able to first lead you to Menards. I hope you go back many times. And maybe for your third season, you could do a podcast where everybody goes to Menards. <laughs> a Menards-only series, yeah. Well, I think... Because as I, I think said at the very beginning, like one of the things I think that is fascinating about Menards um, is that it's... Uh, it's kind of bottomless in terms of what you can take away from it. In fact, I was struck, um, so maybe for the listeners, we all left Menards with souvenir coffee mugs (laughs) that we found irresistible and had to purchase, among other things. And um, the cashier was so surprised to see them. She had never seen the Menards coffee mugs before. She said she'd been working there for six months, but she always comes to work through a different door. And so somehow she had been at this site for six months and had never seen these coffee mugs. So as a kind of example of the depth of that experience. Yes, I think we could have spent probably another hour or two just exploring each individual section. There were entire sections that we had to skip just for time, and we were there for quite a while. So I would say, absolutely, everyone should visit Menards, uh, explore Menards, take home a souvenir coffee mug or T-shirt. Menards has not paid us anything. They haven't. Oh, we need sponsorship, yes. I was thinking, like, disclosure (laughs) statement. Absolutely. We're not working we, for Right, right. No. They had no idea we were recording a podcast. Yes. Well, as we're closing, I do also want to note something about Menards that made it feel like more of a parallel universe or all these universes in, in, in nested in one another. Mm-hmm. And that is the fact that the exit is a scaled down version of the entrance, <laughs> which I could just not get over. <laughs> I don't think I noticed that. It is the same like iconic Menards squat arch glass, but scaled down to about half the scale. Mm. Really? See, I've gone to Menards probably 40 times this year, and I never noticed that. Watch out for that next it time. It really just keeps giving and giving <laughs> Menards. If you pay for it. <laughs> I think you could go out, go in and go You could out. just yeah, browse. Could. 
Oh, yes. You could continually walk through the store in and out the exit around in a circle. That would be fantastic. That is the free and amazing way to experience Menards. I challenge anyone out there to go to Menards and not purchase something. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're not leaving yeah. empty-handed. Ellie Abrams, thank you so much for um, joining us on our first episode of Site Visit. Um, for Eric Herman, I'm Ashley Bigham, and that's the show. Thanks. Bye. Site Visit is hosted by Ashley Bigham and Eric Herman of Outpost Office and is produced by Matthew Schulman.